Management information bases, yeah, what are they? Let's recapitulate that uh, shortly. Management information bases contain the managed objects. And uh, remember again that within the internet world we use the term objects, but in fact we just talk about normal variables. There's no object-orientedness like you have in programming languages like Java, etc. Okay, so they contain the managed objects or the, the variables. These objects represent the resources of a system. And these resources may be monitored and modified by a remote manager. So someone else at another location can read these objects and can modify them. And by doing so, the remote manager is able to control the behavior of that system. I've shown that uh, in this example, at the left we have the manager, at the right we have an uh, old printer, and within that printer you have a couple of variables that uh, yeah, indicate certain things about how the printer operates, for instance how much paper is still available, what the IP address is of the printer, how long it's already running, um, and these variables are logically organized within what we call the management information base. The first thing I want to, to explain a little is that people sometimes confuse between what I call a MIP definition and a MIP instance. A MIP definition, that's a thing that's on paper. These uh, definitions should of course be known by the person who makes the agent. Huh? If you build an printer and the printer should have management capabilities, then of course the implementer of that printer should look at that definition and see, hey, I have to implement that variable, I have to implement that variable, I have to implement that variable. But the definition should also be known by the manager, because if the manager starts yeah, to uh, get variables from the printer, then the manager should understand what these variables mean. The second term I want to use is the MIP instantiation. Uh, that are the actual variables, so it's not the definition, but it is the thing that yeah, has values. Um, and the MIP instantiation is only available within the managed system, not in the manager system. So if you change the variables, you change the variables in the managed system. Of course, the manager can have a kind of copy of the MIP variables. But operating on that copy is very dangerous. Now, if you want to look at how long the printer is already running, and you look at your as manager in your local copy of the, yeah, the time the printer should be running, then you know that that local copy is outdated. Or if you want to change something, for instance, you do a reset and you do it on the local copy within the manager system, then of course there's no effect. I now want to talk a little bit about if the MIP should be seen as a big modular thing or not. If you look at um, the yeah, MIP definition, then you do not see one big definition containing all the variables all the management variables that the system should support. In fact, the MIP is organized into a couple of modules, so you have MIP modules. Um, if you look at, for instance, the IETF, uh, the group who is standardizing internet uh, 
protocols, inter internet MIPS, etc. They have standardized around 130 modules. And there are between 50 and 100 modules are still are in a draft phase, so they do not have yet an RFC status. But there are many more modules. If you look at uh, vendors of equipment, they usually have their vendor-specific MIPS, and there are hundreds or thousands of these MIPS. And you also have other groups that have, uh, for instance, universities where they have made experimental MIPS. So in total there are thousands of modules defined. What is uh, yeah, the advantage of having this modular structure? Well, there are a couple of advantages. First of all, uh, you can have different people defining different parts of the MIP. Of course, if you have to define the management behavior of an Ethernet resource, then you need a different expertise than if you have to define the management expertise of a World Wide Web server. So people with different expertise can define different modules of the MIP. The second advantage is that you can gradually extend management functionality, and that's also what we see in practice. We started with, well, first MIP1, then MIP2, and uh, we added modules, and gradually the functionality became bigger and bigger. The third advantage of having different modules is that some modules only make sense within in specific systems. If you have, for instance, a bridge, then there's no use of having within the bridge a module uh, which manages uh, an email server. But if you have an email server, you, you need that module. On the other hand, you do not need a module to manage bridge behavior. Finally, the advantage of having modules is that vendors can extend the, yeah, the standard MIP variables with their own proprietary variables, and they just add another module to that. Now I'll go through the list of yeah, MIPs, and I'll just more or less read them. I'll start with the hardware-specific MIPs. You have the host resources MIP. That's the only one I will also discuss next to the MIP2. You have an entity MIP. You have a Printer MIP, well, printer MIP is obvious if you want to manage printers. You have a modem MIP, you have a parallel printer-like hardware, so you can manage other things that you can connect to your parallel port. Um, you have uh, something to, uh, to manage your RS232, so your serial port. Um, character stream devices, uh, uninterrupted power supply, so for these kind of things there are MIPs. I've also written down in this table the RFC value here, but yeah, that can change. Uh, and I've written down the status of something, and the D is a draft, and the P is a proposed standard. Remember last time, if something was on the standards track within the RETF, the lowest level was proposed, then you had draft, and finally you had full standard. So many things are still proposed. Let's now take a look at the functional MIPS. So these are the physical MIPS. If you look at transmission, this is just a subset of the list. Uh, I have another slide, even. Um, I'll just go through it. You have uh, classical IP and address resolution protocol over ATM. You have uh, 
802.12 repeater devices. 802.12 is 100 megabit uh, Ethernet. 802.3 medium attachment units, that is the 10 megabit Ethernet. You have the interfaces group MIP. Um, that's something that is, uh, was originally contained in the MIP2, but has been defined in the SMIV2 and is now a separate module. And we'll talk about this one later this morning. You have dial control, so if you want to have uh, telephones, uh, you have ISDN, frame relaying, you have here uh, repeater devices, but then for the 10 megabit Ethernet, you have data link switches, you have uh, the 100 megabit Ethernet interfaces, you have uh, token ring, and then the source routing uh, functionality. This is the normal token ring, you have normal ATM, you have SMDS, which is a kind of uh, Something yeah, preceding ATM being popular in the US but not in, uh, in Europe. The normal Ethernet. Now just go on. Frame relaying, SONAT, SDH, so that's the real physical layer stuff. Source routing bridges that belongs to the token ring uh, local area networks. FDDI. Normal bridges, which is part of the Ethernet uh, networks. You have bridge network control protocol. IP network control protocol, uh, I guess it should be over, PPP point-to-point -point protocol, security protocols uh, of the point-to-point -point protocol, link control protocol, this is something with X25, very old. These are the various transmission lines and you have still X25, all the stuff there too, and there are even more. If you look at this list, probably it's interesting to see again that most of these things are still in the proposed status. Only a few have draft status. Um, since these things are all being rewritten to SMI V2, it was also difficult to get things to a higher level because the, yeah, the basic SMI V2 standard was not yet full standard. So you cannot make things that are based on something that's not a full standard with a higher level. So that's why the status is relatively low. Okay, this is the transmission layer. Let's go to the network layer. Let's go fast through it. You have something related to uh, uh, integrated services, guaranteed services. This is RSVP stuff um, here too. You have uh, IP forwarding table. I'll come to that later today because that was uh, something related to the MIP2. You have Armon remote monitoring. I'll talk about that the last day. Uh, SNMP version 2, um, I'll come to that because that contains stuff that uh, is also originally in the MIP2. You have something related to mobility, this is the Open Shortest Past first routing protocol. Again, remote monitoring, but then version 1, uh, routing information protocol, border gateway protocol, also routing protocol. You have uh, Armon, but then dedicated for token ring networks. The original Armon was for Ethernet. You have identification MIP, an older version of the BGP, and you have the original MIP2. And I'm going to spend a lot of time on this. And if you look at the various status uh, yeah, levels, you see that only MIP2 is standard, because MIP2 is the only one that's still based on the SMI version 1. And SMI version 1 is already standard a long time. All the others. Um, are now based on SMI v2 or moving to SMI v2. 
transport layer is simple. We have uh, two main transport protocols, the connectionless one, UDP, and connection-oriented one, TCP. Come to that later today. And if you look at application uh, layer, I've written down some of them. And uh, yeah, we have uh, system-level managed objects for applications, kind of generic uh, MIP. We have something for mail monitoring, network services monitoring, database stuff, the DNS stuff, and the X500 stuff. This should give you an idea of what kind of MIP modules are being defined in the IETF. Um, next to these, uh, say, general purpose MIP modules, IETF also defines some vendor-specific MIPs. Um, I'll just show this, uh, for instance, how to run SNMP over IPX, that is originally from NetWare. Apple Talk from Apple, DECnet, doesn't exist anymore, I guess. IBM, uh, so. Um, some of these vendor-specific things are being standardized too, but there are many, 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 many more MIPs defined by the various vendors which are not standardized. If you go to the for instance, Cisco website, you get uh, hundreds of MIP modules. We've discussed naming the last time, naming of MIP uh, modules. This top part we've discussed last time, and uh, we've seen that if you uh, want to define MIP uh, variable, want to identify MIP variables, they also should start from the root 1.1.3.6.1. .1 dot two, and then below that we have the real MIP stuff. Originally there was one document, the MIP2, which had a couple of groups, a system group, which was number one below the MIP2, an interfaces group, some other groups, uh, I'll show them later. One very sp special group, the transmission group, this group didn't have any variables, but was a kind of placeholder for the transmission specific MIPs like the Ethernet MIP, Token Ring MIP, FTDI MIP, ADSL MIP. And, uh, yeah, I've written down here some of these numbers. There are a large number of them. Um, so the transmission MIPs are logically under this branch of the MIP2. The MIP2 just continues with another group, the SNMP group. And next to that group, we have the other MIP modules. So application MIP modules are here, but also MIP modules that relate to transport or the network layer are there. And these lists go on. So if you look at the MIP module, and you ask yourself, where is it located in the big MIP tree? then you first have to ask yourself, is it a transmission MIP or not? If it is a transmission MIP, it should be below this branch. Otherwise, it is below that. There's no structure. The one that comes first gets the lowest number. 